Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Standing, uh, no standing at least, but at least it was an ovation. Thank you, Morgan. Great job. We certainly appreciate the choir and the specials today. They did a fabulous job. We're so excited about that. Again, glad you could be here. And uh, again, it's Easter, and I don't know about you, but with the winter that we did not have and uh, the spring that seems to almost be gone, I mean, we've had almost summer almost, you know, uh, it's kind of hard to believe that it's Easter. I I don't know about you, maybe. Now, again, I haven't had a chance to dig into any Easter basket candy yet. Now, once I get going on that stuff, then maybe I'll be convinced that it's Easter. But right now, it's just hard for me. I don't know. Uh, Just, I don't know. But anyway. All right. We're going to go ahead and get started now with our message. I do want to let you know this. Uh, Again, you, you know, this is up to you. We do have junior churches. We have nurseries. We have all of those things available to you. We have very qualified people taking care of that. It's just so helpful sometimes because I know how it is. You know, it's hard for you to get anything out of it. It's hard for uh, others around you to get anything out of it. And I'm telling you, you, you would probably be very, very happy if you would utilize those services. We provide them for you because we do care, and we want you to be as comfortable as possible as well as those around you. So anyway, they are available. If you would like to partake or participate in those, by all means, you feel free at any time to, to slip out and utilize that. All right, well, this morning... You know, we're going to begin a series of messages, and the messages are going to last about four weeks. Actually, the end of the month we'll be done with them, but we're going to begin to address and discuss establishing, maintaining, restoring, and growing relationships. Relationships are essential in our lives. That's just just the way it is. And there's a mountain of growing evidence that indicates healthy and satisfying relationships is one of the most important factors to uh, both happiness and healthiness in our lives, if you will. Uh, I read a study uh, by Dr. McClintock. He's the director of the Institute of Mind and Biology. He found that, and again, I, I understand that you know, we would hope that we are much further advanced than rats, but he found that rats living in groups lived 40% longer than those housed by themselves and also uh, recovered more quickly from illness. Uh, this exper- experiment has been extended now to comparing lonely and and, and lonely human beings from social, socially adept uh, humans as well. And although that trial is very early on in its stages, uh, it's indicating the same types of results. And uh, they found, what they're finding is, is that lonely people don't recover as quickly from illness. That they don't sleep as well. They have higher cystostic uh, blood pressure. Uh, the early trial conclusions state that Social interaction helps people to be healthier and live longer. That's just the reality of it. And that same finding's been uh, kind of reiterated and uh, reinforced with Dr. Cassiopo. Now, I've read a study by him. I can't say his name, but I can certainly read the study. He found also that lonely people show a number of adverse cardiovascular changes compared to people that have friends. And uh, they find that people that are lonely, again, have faster heartbeats, higher blood pressure, and poor sleep. And uh, so that kind of, that closely mirrors uh, McClintock's findings as well. So there's good evidence to support that social interaction, relationships are very important. They're very, uh, very important in our, our, our attitudes. They're important with our health. They're important in so many aspects of our life. And so, uh, as we begin these next few few weeks, we're going to begin to discuss and deal with um, 
relationships. And uh, the series is entitled The Art of Others. And so we're going to be looking at that. Now again, it's become more and more apparent to me at least over these last years, uh, probably in the last 10 years even especially, that it seems we're struggling like never before with relationships. I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about every relationship. It just seems that across the board there's difficulty and we're struggling. Creating, maintaining, restoring, and growing relationships is an art. It's an art that seems to be quickly being lost in our technological age. You know, just 20 years ago, if you had to go to the bank, you walked in the door and you interacted with a teller. Uh, you always had to, you know, write out a slip and hand it to them, and then they would turn around in turn and, and give you your money. That's not how it is anymore, is it? Now, if, uh, if you even go inside the bank, you know, uh, that's, that's unusual at all, but you just use a little card, you slide it into a little slot, you get your money, uh, or you deal with things online, you just get online and take care of all your banking. Uh, so we've stopped interacting with people, it seems. I mean, just 10 years ago, if you'd go to the checkout line at the grocery store, you had to look at a, a young lady or a young fellow that was, would smile at you and say, have a nice day as you left. Now you go to that instant checkout, you don't even <clears throat> talk to anybody, you just run your, car, you know, your items through, ring them up yourself, and then go ahead and check out. So again, we're, we're moving quickly away from interacting. It seems that although we're more connected than we've ever been, we're not interacting very much. Relationships are difficult, and it seems that we're struggling. You don't even get gas. You don't rent a movie anymore by talking to anybody or looking at anybody. You just swipe your card, and off you go. So it just seems to me that we're moving in that direction. Even our marriages, it seems to me, has somewhat digressed to, in many cases, nothing more than just a convenient living arrangement. And it's all because our schedules are so... so uh, I guess, disjointed. Our work weeks are haywire. I mean, it just seems like everything's just crazy anymore. And so we would just like two ships passing in the night often if we're not careful. Relationships. We're struggling with them. And, uh, you know, you take the children. You know, you ram them to, to ball practice. You run them over to school. You, you take them to their activities and so forth. And all along, you're just trying to catch your breath. And while you're in the vehicle, mind you, let's face it, we're not doing as much interacting as we used to do either. Now we have DVDs and stuff that are playing at the same time, or kids are looking at their cell phones and playing video games on them. And uh, I mean, it's just a different culture. It's a different world we live in. The problem is, is it seems like we're not interacting. Again, people are struggling with this aspect of relationship because we really don't have a lot of practice at it anymore, or so it seems. Very little interpersonal interaction. What's the bottom line? Well, with an increase in severed and splintered relationships in our culture, we're becoming a very lonely and unsatisfied society. Again, they've done a number of studies, and what they're finding is that the younger generation is more connected than ever before. But they're also more lonely. You say, that doesn't make any sense, but it's true. See, I want you to know that God never intended that life, that we endure life. God, God intended that we enjoy life. I'm amazed how unhappy of a society we live in. People just seem to exist today. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, you just get through the day. I mean, it's really, there's nothing joyous about it. You wake up and you're almost, I mean, you're already wore out. Off to work you go or off to school or wherever it is. You just kind of make it. You know, you just get through it. 
That's not what God intended for us, though. God intended our life to be filled with joy and to expectation and hope. And He wanted us to have so much more than that. I want you to know that dealing with relationships is an art. And Webster defines an art as skill, dexterity, or the power of performing certain actions acquired by experience, study, or observation. Again, let me read that because it's very important. It's it's not like we just naturally are good at relationships. It's not natural. It's not something we just, oh, everybody's just great at it. You got to either you got a talent or a skill for it or you don't. That's not at all what it is. Relationships are an art. And and that Webster says is a skill, dexterity or the power of performing certain actions acquired by experience, study or observation. Anything that is an art must be learned. Therefore, it must be taught. Whether you're learning to draw or play an instrument or run a business, there are tools, there are techniques that you're going to ultimately need if you want to be successful. Well, we need a guide in this area. We need a teacher to show us how in the world are we to have satisfying and fulfilling relationships in this life. How can we have better marriages and better relationships with our children? And how can we involve ourselves with others and interact better and more efficiently and even more deeply with others? How is it that we get along with mother-in-laws and father-in-laws? And how do we deal with family? It's sad as you look at these studies about relationships. It's like there's a love-hate relationship with family. Oh good, we're going to interact with our family. And then again, maybe not. Isn't it sad today how we view family? They're almost like the enemy at times. And yet it ought not to be that way. That's not how God intended it to be. We can have better relationships. And so we're going to take some time to look at that over these next few weeks. I believe today that Jesus Christ is the greatest teacher and example of how to run your life and how to handle relationships. I don't think there's any other person on earth that's more qualified to teach us about those relationships. I mean, he shared love unconditionally, didn't he? He accepted people consistently. He forgave liberally. And he, he gave himself sacrificially. Those are characteristics and qualities that each of us must possess if we're honestly going to become the kind of friend we ought to be, become the kind of husband or wife we should be, be kind of, the kind of person that we ought to be, in order to have the kind of relationships God intended, fulfilling relationships, satisfying relationships. And although it seems like an oxymoron to say that you have to give more to get more, it is a reality. Jesus Christ gave everything, and as a result, He is the most qualified teacher. He loved like no other. We love Him because He first loved us, the Bible says. Matter of fact, the Bible says in John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for you and I. He's the greatest example in this area of relationships. He possessed, he demonstrated all the qualities and characteristics that you and I must master in order to experience strong, stable, and satisfying relationships. The Carnegie Technology Institute made a statement. They said that 90% of all people who fail in their life's vocation fail because they cannot get along with others. Isn't that amazing? If you can't get along with others, you are on a road to destruction in your 
professional career. I don't care if you're a bank teller or whether you work down here at the Marks. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or whether you're, you're a, a street cleaner. If you can't get along with people, you're in trouble. You've got to learn to get along with people. If it seems that everybody's always against you, maybe it's because you don't know how to get along with others. Years ago when I was a teenager, I thought the world hated me. But what I found later was that I really didn't like who and what I was. Once I come to that realization, I realized everybody that was looking at me cross-eyed really wasn't looking at me cross-eyed. It was just how I viewed them. There was something inside that said I wasn't very valuable. There was something that said I wasn't worth a whole lot. And therefore, everybody that looked at me I thought was being critical and cynical of me. But that wasn't it at all. I just didn't know how to get along with people, and I didn't like who I was at first. I had to get along with me before I get along with others. Over the next month, again, I'm going to share a series of messages, The Art of Others. And we're going to note a couple of things. I believe important foundational truths to establishing and maintaining relationships. Before we get into today's message, because today I, I want to talk about the most important relationship. Before I begin to really emphasize and focus on relationships with those here on earth, I'm, I'm very, very positive and very assured that those relationships will be much more satisfying and fulfilling if I establish the most important relationship, and that's with Jesus Christ. So let's, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Let's have a, first, have a word of prayer. Father, bless us now today. What a great group that's gathered today for this Easter service. And Lord, I'm so thankful to see uh, so many smiling faces. Everybody just is uh, so, so uh, I guess, excited about the holiday, about Easter, and Lord, about your resurrection. And so it's great to gather and to just be able to encourage one another. I pray, Lord, that before we leave today, we will have not only gotten from the message of song, but not only from the fellowship one with another, but, Lord, that we would have met with you. Now, Father, may you fill me with your spirit. Lord, I'm praying and begging you to stand in my shoes. Let me be your mouthpiece today. Lord, may I say those things only that will please you most. And, Lord, may you just be with your people today and these that have gathered. May you, Father, open their hearts to you. May your Holy Spirit and your word truly break through as light and darkness. May we see, Father, you in a new light, in a better way, and understand that, Father, you desire so strongly to have a walk and a relationship with each of us. We'll thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> see, the Lord invites you and I today into the most satisfying and fulfilling relationship. It's, it's a relationship with Him. See, God's not an impersonal 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 God, excuse me. He is really a very personal God. He wants a relationship with you today. He desires a daily rapport with you. He, he is content. He's not content to simply add you to His list of saved members. Maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about. But many of you have probably professed to be children of God, to have accepted Christ as your Savior. That's not enough for Him. That, that's, not, that's not enough. He, he saved you for the purpose of fellowshipping with Him. 
He wants to fellowship with you. Can you imagine with me for just a moment that God uh, in time past literally created the earth and the heavens and the universe. He created all things. He spoke them into existence. And that same God who spoke the universe into existence, that same God that could muster up or summon up any being or any creature He so desired, chooses to fellowship with you. There's no one on this earth or in heaven that He'd rather fellowship today with than you. Can you imagine? I mean, you walked into the church house today and you took your place in a, a pew and you say to yourself, well, I've made my place. I've, I've taken my place here. I've, I've, I've done what I know I need to do. Well, I want you to understand you've only began the journey because God's not content with you sitting in the pew today. God's not content just because you even call Him your Savior. God's not content just because you say once in a while that I'm a Christian or that I love the Lord. No, He is not content till He fellowships with you and you fellowship with Him consistently. See, God designed you for fellowship. As a matter of fact, no man or woman in this room today, no one who possesses faith is fulfilling his or her design purpose unless they engage in fellowship regularly and faithfully with God. God created the first man with a purpose. And although he was placed in a garden to dress and to keep it, that wasn't his primary purpose in creating him. See, God would have had a number of others to perform such duties and tasks. He could have, he could have, he could have had his angels take care of the Garden of Eden. He could have had them dress it. He could have had them keep it. But, I mean, that was just something that he gave Adam to do. But that wasn't the purpose that he created Adam for. He sought his fellowship. In Genesis chapter 3, we come face to face with what's called the fall of mankind. Adam and his innocence, along with Eve, were in the garden, and there they got along perfectly fine. There were no spats, there were no fights, there were no problems at that point. They had a wonderful relationship. And they interacted and fellowshiped with God regularly and consistently. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, after the fall, mind you, but let's learn. It says, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And in this particular case, the Bible says, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. See, I am convinced and have no doubt at all that God regularly and consistently met with Adam and I believe met with Eve in the garden. And he would show up in the cool of the day and there they would take those long walks and and Adam would converse with God and God would converse with Adam and they'd fellowship one with another. God intended to fellowship with that which he created. And there's nothing any different Today, He still expects, desires, and longs to fellowship with you and I. His main purpose in creating you was for fellowship. 
You were not an accident. You were not an accident. I don't care how you came into this world. God has a purpose for you. And it is to fellowship with Him. You know, and it is, it's in that fellowship. It's in that relationship that our worldview is formed. Our faith is strengthened. Our lifestyle is defined. And our hope is renewed daily. It's in that relationship. And no matter how active you may be, no matter how spiritually mature you perceive yourself to be, there's no depth of faith and relationship unless there is a personal connection with you and God. You can come to church every day, the doors, every time the doors are open. You could, you could read your Bible through, up and back, so to speak. But if you don't have a personal interaction or connection with Him, the Lord Jesus Christ... You're missing out on the most important aspect of the Christian life. It's that relationship. Because that's what He designed you for. A relationship. According to Barna study, a Barna study, while more than two-thirds of Americans say they're either religious or spiritual, they admit not to being deeply committed to, the, to faith matters. Fewer than one in five, or 18%, claim to be totally committed to engaging in personal spiritual development. Further evidence shows that among adults who claim to be Christian, just one out of every seven, or 14%, say that their faith in and relationship with God is the highest priority in their life. That's an amazing statistic, isn't it? 14%. While four out of five adults say they are Christian, only one out of five, or 20%, contends that the single most important decision that they have ever made was to invite Jesus Christ to forgive them and become their Savior. One out of five. I'm a Christian. I've invited Christ in my life. I'm on my way to heaven. He's forgiven me. I mean, I am settled in that area. What's the most important decision you ever made in your life? Uh, going to college. Getting a degree. The wife I married. My career choice. Only one out of five says, the most important decision I ever made in my life was accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior and settling my eternity. Well, that, that tells us something about where we are mentally, emotionally, and spiritually today as so-called believers. Hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, our career choice and the college we attended or the education that we arrived at or the person that we married isn't an important decision. Those are all very important decisions. However, I promise you, when you take your last breath, the only one you'll be thinking about is the one you made with Christ or did not make. There just seems to be a greater disconnect today than ever between inviting Christ to be one Savior and interacting with Him daily. If you die today, you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? Yeah, yeah. How do you know that? Well, I, I asked Jesus to save me. Oh, so you've been, you've been saved. You've invited Christ. In your, oh, yeah, I did all that. Good, good. How's your, how's your spiritual life? Well, 
As simply as I can say this, if that's the case, you are not fulfilling your God-given purpose for living. That's as simple as it is. You say, this isn't a normal Easter message, is it? Oh, absolutely. It's a perfect Easter message. I'm trying to resurrect in you a desire to have a relationship with the Lord who saved you. This is all about resurrection today. You're not laughing. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, help me not to try to be cute Sunday morning. I war with that because I'm so cute, you know. But... You know, sometimes as preachers, you know, we try to say things, you know, try to kind of, you know, break the ice a little bit. But I, I, I really don't know that I need to break a lot of ice. But I would like to break a trend. It seems to me that when people are receiving Christ today, it doesn't seem like they're very serious about living for Him. Can I be so honest? It just seems to me that we all want to pretend or believe that we're saved, but nobody wants to act like we're Christians. Am I allowed to be that forward today? Listen, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know your life, and I don't know where you're at. I just know me. And I know it's very difficult in this world in which we live to maintain and to continue in the faith. It's easy to get sidetracked and to get off 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 uh, the pathway and to kind of buy into the things that the world says are important. But I'm telling you, there's nothing more important today than your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have one of those relationships, if you've never personally entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know you're missing out on the most fulfilling and satisfying relationship there is. However, let me warn you. If you know people who have profess to be saved, and are not having a relationship with Him, they are not an example of what your life can and will be. Because you know what? You can be a Christian today and be as miserable as the world. You know why the world's miserable today? For the same reason Christians are. Because we're not truly fulfilling our God-given purpose. God intended that every man, every boy, every woman, every girl ultimately have a relationship with Him. That's what He designed us for. That's what He created us for. He didn't just create us so that we could live our life and go our own direction and fulfill our own dreams. He, he, he created us because He loves us and he, he wants us to fellowship with Him. He wants us to interact with Him. He wants us to know Him in a way that only you can know a person when you get close to them. See, it's one thing to talk to a person, since it's another thing to touch them. And Jesus Christ doesn't want to just talk to you today. He wants to touch your life. He wants to make the difference in your life. He doesn't want to just be a piece or a part. He wants to be the whole thing. Jesus Christ is good at touching lives. I'm sure you, you know all about that. Many of you have experienced this touch. We need to fulfill our God-given purpose. Can you imagine I was reading about Mozart? Mozart was a child prodigy, wasn't he? And after his death, his sister was reminiscing, and she made this statement. She said, he often spent much time at the, they called it a, pia- a clavier. I'll call it a piano because it's so much easier to say piano. A clavier. 
He often spent much time at the piano picking out thirds which he was ever striking, and his pleasure showed that it sounded good. In the fourth year of his age, his father, for a game as it were, began to teach him a few minuets and pieces at the piano. Four years old. He could play it faultlessly and with the greatest delicacy and keeping exactly in time. I don't know if you've ever taken piano lessons. You know one of the most difficult things to do is to do the, 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 the piece in the proper timing. He did it flawlessly, exactly in time. She goes on to say, and at the age of five, he was already composing little pieces, which he played to his father who wrote them down. He began to play things, and his father would write the music down for him. By the age of seven, he was playing around the world for dignitaries and for, for kings and queens. He was an amazing, amazing mind musically. Can you imagine with me for just a moment? Oh, by the way, two years after that, probably at the age of seven, he had already learned how to play the violin on his own. The violin is one of the most difficult uh, instruments to learn. Can you imagine with me for just a moment? Saying to Mozart, Mozart, you will never be permitted to play the piano again. You'll never be allowed to write another score of music the rest of your life. Can you imagine saying that to him? Go out and play. I just want to play on the piano, Daddy. No, go out and play. You're never allowed to play the piano again, write a score of music, pick up the, the bow and the violin. Never again, son. Let me ask you. How do you think he'd feel? I got one word. Miserable. It was like he was made to play a piano. It was his destiny. You know want to know something? You were made to fellowship with God. It's your destiny. You can't be happy, fulfilled, and truly satisfied as God intends you to be unless you have that relationship with Him. Because that's what you were made for. Again, Jesus Christ placed a premium on fellowship. So much so that he made time to interact with all those that, well, in many cases, were not often included in the circles of others. What I mean by that is he, he would hang out. He would touch the lives of the unaccepted. I think of the lepers. A lepers is a, is a disease that was, uh, in the Bible at least, it was mentioned oft times. And uh, these lepers were considered outcasts in Jesus' day. They were, they'd remain outside the walls of the city and they were considered to be unclean. You weren't permitted to touch them. They weren't permitted to touch you. They lived a separate life. Their, their physical disease had, it was so feared and people were so afraid of coming into contact with the lepers and catching what they had. They were ostracized. They were set apart. Jesus had such an insatiable desire to touch the lives of men and women. He had created the leper just like He did anyone else for the purpose of fellowship. And on this earth, Jesus Christ can be found doing something that nobody would ever dream of doing. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 2 and 3, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped Him, saying, Lord, if Thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth His hand and touched Him. He said, I will, be Thou clean. And immediately His leprosy was cleansed. He touched him. 
the greatest of all miracles that we see the Lord doing, we see Him doing when He's in contact with people. It's about you and it's about me. He loves us. The disciples may have turned the world upside down in the end, but they were anything but spectacular in the eyes of the world. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. You ever have anybody tell you you're stupid? I never have, so I don't know how it feels. Why are you laughing? <laughs> okay, so maybe I have. But I mean, you're, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're ignorant. Hey, listen, the disciples were not viewed as being, being intellectual giants here. As a matter of fact, as they went out preaching the gospel, the Bible tells us that the religious leaders of that day viewed them and said, hey, those are unlearned and ignorant men. Hold on, though, it doesn't stop there. It says they marveled, though, and they took knowledge of them. Why did they pay attention to these unlearned and ignorant men? They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And they got in the presence of the Lord, man. When you get in the presence of the Lord, things are different. God changes things. He doesn't guarantee there won't be tragedy in your life, because there will. He doesn't guarantee you won't have problems. You will. He doesn't say that everything will be a bed of roses. It won't. But He does promise to be with you through it all. To gird you up and strengthen you and to pacify you and comfort you and to bring you hope and help. He'll empower you and enable you to live the way you ought to live in this world. To do the way you ought to do in this world. To have the kind of interaction and the kind of love and the kind of commitment and devotion and just the kind of relationships you ought to have. Jesus Christ will empower you and enable you to do those things. They took note of them. Why? Because they'd been with Jesus. And now He's reaching out to you and I. As we prepare to close in the book of Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says... In verse 6 through 8, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. By the way, Jesus Christ is God in flesh. He said His name was Emmanuel, God with us. <clears throat> he said, But He made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. <laughs> I know some of you feel that way. You just won't cry that loud right now. <laughs> At least that baby's honest. <laughs> but he says, Who had being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Hey, listen, Jesus went out of his way to establish a relationship with you. He left the perfect confines of heaven. 
where angels waited on him hand and foot just to have a relationship with you. He, he laid aside his pride. He became, the Bible says, of no reputation, where there he was, he was not only maker and ruler, he was waited on hand and foot. On this earth, he walked the dusty trails of Galilee. They spit in his face. They mocked and made fun of him. All because he wanted to have a relationship with you. He endured hardship and grief. He said he had nowhere to lay his head. A pillow was a stone. He suffered in the cold and in the heat. And he gave his life, it tells us. He literally, the Bible says, humbled himself and became obedient unto death. You know why he died? Because the only way that you could have fellowship with Him was if He gave Himself as a sacrifice for you. Somebody has to pay for sin. Someone had to pay the ultimate price. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Somebody has to die for sin. The Bible tells us that if a man or a woman doesn't permit Jesus Christ to be their substitute, to have paid for their sin then they themselves must pay for it. And the Bible says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The Bible tells us that we'll die once physically, but then we'll die the second time eternally, being separated forever in a place called the lake of fire. But he gave his life. And he gave his life willingly. He willingly placed or permitted himself to be placed on that cross. Nobody forced him. Who killed Jesus? The Roman soldiers. Oh, was it that screaming mob? Crucify him! Crucify him! Neither. It was himself. He himself allowed them to nail his hands on that cross and his feet. He permitted them to raise that cross into the air. He permitted them to mock and make fun of him as he lay, as he hanged there naked before the world in shame. He permitted them to crucify him and ultimately cast a spear to his side. Jesus did that. And he did that for one reason. You. All for you. You say, I think he might have done it for others, but he couldn't have done it for me because you just don't know who and what I'm all about. I don't need to know. I know what I'm all about. And if he can save or forgive me, if he'd die in my place, he'd die in yours too. And he did. He did. How do you receive Christ then? How do you enter into that relationship with the Lord? How do I begin this most wonderful and most satisfying relationship possible? By looking at that Jesus who died on the cross and shed His blood and suffered for you and saying, Lord, I know there's nothing good 
in this old boy's life, this old girl's life. Nothing good at all. But I know in you, you, you're perfect and you were sinless and yet you died instead of me. I deserve to be on that cross. I should have been the one to pay the price. But you took my place. And I want you to know, I don't feel like I deserve it. But I certainly will accept it today. I'll let you pay for my sin. I'll let you take that blood that you shed and apply it to my account. And I'll let you stamp my life paid in full. I'll permit you. I want you to be my Savior. He says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. There's two parts to that. He said, If you hear my voice, you hear the knock, all you need to do is open your heart and invite me in. Allow me to come into your life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to come into your life. And He will, if you understand you're that sinner that He died for. And that only He can pay for your sin. Then, the second part. And He will sup with me and I with Him. Then the relationship begins. It starts by inviting Him in Him. And it continues by fellowshipping daily, regularly, consistently, and faithfully. You say, I've already invited him in. What about that supping part? Are you fellowshipping with him daily, consistently, and regularly? That's what he designed you for. That's what he created you for. Will you let him fellowship? He's waiting to hear from you. I want to encourage you, and I want you to understand that there's no pursuit in life more satisfying, fulfilling than a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Waking up every day, first thing, one to talk to Him. Last thing, saying goodnight to Him. That's what I'm talking about. Not just, oh yeah, I got saved. No. I have a relationship with the Creator. He's my Father, my Lord my Savior, my friend. Do you know for sure heaven's your home? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you would, please, every head bowed, every eye closed, a very personal time. You know without a doubt today that if you died, for some reason, God forbid, if for some reason you took your last breath, do you know without a doubt that heaven's your home? Has there been a time, a place, when you personally recognized Jesus Christ for dying for your sin? That He didn't just die and rise again the third day just so that we could celebrate His birth and celebrate His resurrection once a year. No, He did that with a purpose to bring me into fellowship, bring you into fellowship with Him. Are you confident? Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior? That He is your Lord? And that one day, heaven will be your home. You say, Preacher, I don't have that settled today. I don't know that for sure. I can't honestly say I know that without a doubt. I want you to know that the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know today. Because of the promises in this book. Not because of what a Baptist church believes or what a preacher says, but because of what this book teaches and what it 
reveals to us right in its pages. These promises, His promises to us. I don't have it settled, preacher. I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Can I pray for you? I'd like to pray for you and just ask the Lord to give you strength to make some decisions on His behalf. Right here, right now, where you're at. Would you lift your hand and just say, that's me, preacher. I don't have it settled. I don't know for sure. I can't say that I have that relationship with the Lord, that I began that relationship at any point. I can't remember the day, the time, the place. I don't know for sure. If I died, I'd go to heaven. That's me. Pray for me, preacher. Anybody, can I pray for you? Just put your hand up very quickly. I see it. Put it down. Just real quick. Up and down. Yes. Up and down. Anywhere else. Up and down. Very quickly. I don't want to take... I'm not going to take a lot of time. Can I see more hands? I think. Yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? Up, down. Just real quick. Okay. Here we go. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray for you. You that are Christians, what's your relationship with the Lord? Where are you at on that thing? You were created, designed for that purpose. Father, I pray for those that raised hands. I'm asking you, Lord, to give them the courage in just a few moments to make a decision on your behalf. Lord, they're aware that, Father, you died for them. They're aware that they aren't sure of their eternal home one day. Lord, they are aware that they need someone, something other than themselves, and that person is you. Lord, give them the very courage in just a moment when the music begins to play to make their way even to the front, to find the closest aisle, to come forward, to excuse themselves even past people and say, I've got to settle this. I want to know what God has to say to me about that relationship because I want that walk with Him. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to know heaven's my home and that I am His child. Father, give them strength. And for the believer today, may we, Father, make decisions to cultivate a relationship with you for that's the purpose you created us for may we confess our sin as needed may we correct our attitudes and our actions even this day in jesus name amen let's all stand to our feet every head bowed again every eye closed the music begins to play you come you're coming to be baptized you're coming to to settle some things with the lord i'm in the front you don't know for sure heaven's your home come see me i raised my hand preacher or maybe you didn't raise your hand you're just a little bit concerned. You thought maybe somebody would point you out, somebody would drag you up an aisle or something. Nobody's going to drag you anywhere. Nobody's going to do anything like that. But what I do want you to understand is that you can know without a doubt heaven's your home. Come on. Just slip out in the closest aisle. Come on up. What a great Easter. The resurrection. The Bible says that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we rise with Him. I want you to know you'll live forever if your faith is in Christ, if you've truly trusted and depended on Him. This is your opportunity. Why don't you come on? Let me help you. Let someone take a Bible and show you those precious promises. Why don't you come? It's simple. I mean simple. And yet, it's profound. It's life-changing. When you acknowledge the fact that you're that sinner that Jesus died for and that He humbled Himself so that you could be exalted, it's an amazing thought to think that you can be forgiven, cleansed of your sin, forever washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's your opportunity, won't you come? Simple. It's simple faith, and yet it's very profound faith. I know, I know who and what I am. And I know that a holy God's going to have a real problem with me. I won't make it in the state I am. Although I try to live a good life, 
do the best I can. I know there's never been a time, a place when I've invited Christ to my life. I need Him and His sacrifice, His blood to be applied to my life. He's the only one that was perfect. I need His perfection in my life. I want Him to wash my sin away. Won't you come? Let Him wash your sin away. This is Travis. He's coming forward to be baptized. He's trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Travis, based upon your profession and faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ, my brother, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death. Straight back. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. God bless you, brother Travis. God bless you, buddy. Emily, well, Emily Carson, she gave me a middle name too, but I think I'll pass on the middle. It gets kind of long, but Emily, she's coming to be baptized. Again, understand something, baptism does not save us. 
Baptism is a step of obedience following our faith in Jesus Christ. Emily, based upon your profession and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, my sister, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death. Straight back, sweetheart. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Congratulations, honey. Love you. Careful, babe. Hey, one more. Be very careful. Very careful. One more after that. What's what's your full name? Denise Edwards. Denise Edwards. Okay, Edwards. Okay. Yes, it is. This is Denise Edwards. She's coming forward as well to be baptized because of her profession and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Denise, based upon your profession and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, my sister, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death. Straight back. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Congratulations, Denise. God bless you. Be careful in this step. Well, amen. All right. Mr. Hamilton, if you'd come and... Close us, take care of any business that needs to be taken care of. But again, we want to just thank you once again for the opportunity to, uh, to, to fellowship and to share with you this morning. Also tonight, don't forget, tonight at 6, we're going to be doing our program one more time, an encore presentation. I'm sure he may have something else to say. God bless you. We'll look forward to seeing you. Thanks. No. Um, we are looking forward to the service tonight. Make sure you're back for that. And I do want to say this morning, uh, there's a young man right here, Devin, that uh, we just prayed at the altar he accepted Christ as his Savior. That's a wonderful thing. And uh, that's what... Oh, there's another one. All right, here's a couple of them. Is it Janela and uh, Jacques? 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 Jacques, all right. Janela and Jacques also accepted Christ as their Savior this morning. Praise the Lord for that. All right, that is wonderful, and that's what coming to church is all about. We're so glad you were here this Easter morning. Let's go ahead and stand together. We'll close with a word of prayer. Lord, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be here in your house today. I pray that you'll be with us, Lord. I pray that you will help us as we go about our afternoons, as we enjoy Easter dinner, and uh, Lord, spend time with family and friends. I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to uh, just uh, remember this powerful message we received this morning and to become better people as a result. I thank you for what you're going to do, Lord. Bring us back safely together tonight. In your name we pray. Amen.